my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Jim. Hello there. Sadly, we are Sans Hunter this week. He hurt his back. So if y'all could send uh, positive vibes, healing thoughts, whatever you do, um, if you could send those his way, that'd be great, because, you know, I, I think we all know what it's like to have a terribly hurt back. It's not fun. Um, last time I, I really heard, what? I think it's his anniversary too, which makes it, me speculate on how he threw his back out. Uh, um, didn't that just happen? Uh, I'm not going to tell you how he told me he did it, but anyway, uh, yeah. And we have a guest this week, folks joining us from Chicago, uh, the founder of riveted games, Philip divine here to talk about falling stars, war of empires. Welcome, Philip. Hey everyone. Happy to join you. We're happy to have you. Now, before we get into your game, let's spend a minute talking about other crap we're playing. Uh, Philip, since you're a guest, let's start with you. What, besides your game, have you been playing lately? Sure. I've kind of got two. Uh, I'm going to venture off video games. I've been playing a lot of Galaxy Trucker, the, the board game lately. I've heard um, that's amazing. I've heard that's amazing. I I couldn't say enough good things about it. It's so fun. Um you can play it with two players. You just build this ship. A lot of times it ends up really crappy. And then they send you on these different missions. And all the missions just further destroy your ship. And basically, whoever survives at the end wins. So Galaxy Truck is definitely a good one. Um, fun for two. Fun for, I think, up to four. Uh, that's a good one. And then um, a smaller game um, that I found on the the forums for the game engine that I use, JMonkey Engine. Uh, it's called Lightspeed Frontier. It's, I think, just entering Alpha. Um, and it's, what's funny is it's actually kind of like a video game of Galaxy Trucker. You build these little modular spaceships, um, and uh, you get set off on quests. And it's kind of like uh, TerraTech in space. I don't know if you guys have played TerraTech or seen it, but uh, you just build these little ships out of these components, and um, it's just like a wacky physics-based ship-building game where you just go out and dogfight other uh, randomly generated ships and stuff like that. It's a pretty good time. Have you played uh, what I think it's called Space Run? Because apparently that is a – a lot of people say that's the digital version of Galaxy Trucker. No, I haven't. Space Run? Yeah, yeah two it's... words, Space Run. It's basically the same thing. You build a ship. You, yeah. you, have, you have a ship that's a certain shape, and you can put certain things on it like guns and shields and whatnot. Yeah. And you have to get from one point to another without getting destroyed. It's almost like a tower defense in reverse. It's, it's exactly what it is. It, yeah, it's like you're driving the castle, and you put the tur- the turrets and stuff on it, and try to not get killed by the stuff that you run through. Oh, that sounds awesome! Yeah, like my favorite thing about that type of game, Galaxy Trucker, is you're reading through the rule book and you're trying to figure out what the different ship components are and stuff. And um, they're telling you one by one, like, all right, this is what an engine looks like. You have to get a bunch of different engines. You need as many engines as possible. Uh, you get to the next part. This is what a gun looks like. Uh, you need as many guns as possible. Uh, this is a cargo bay. You need as many cargo bays as possible. By, by the end of it, you're like, well, what do I prioritize here? So you're just building this thing and always ends up bad. You're always lacking something and you just die spectacularly every game. That sounds yeah, wanna, exactly That sounds exactly wanna, like Space Run. I want to point out, since we're talking about Space Run, on the 17th of June, Space Run Galaxy, which could be called Space Run 2, is coming out. Wow. I think I gotta get in on this. Yeah, it looks it looks pretty rad. It, it looks even spacier and gunnier. And runnier. And, and runnier. 
I don't know about runny. Uh, it's it's a little thick. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, so, so that's what I got going on. So I've been playing some uh, some uh, Space Pirates and Zombies too. Um, been playing a little bit of uh, of um, what is this called? There we go. I oh couldn't gosh. talk for I a minute. It. I'm sorry. Uh, it's uh, Death State is the other thing that I've been playing. Have you? That's seen a Death great State? game. That's a great game. Yes, I own Holy it. Holy crap! It, it's, it's great. Like, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not the fastest person in the world to come off 15 bucks on a dual stick shooter. Uh, you know, when the market is pretty full of those things, but then I messed around with it and it was just like, Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a one stick shooter cause it auto aims for you. And thank God it does because there's enough crap flying. You, you don't want to have to think about shooting and moving. Moving is enough, but yeah, it's, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, playing a, Twin stick shooter in in Cthulhu's nightmares, kind of. Hmm. There's another kind yeah. of similar game like that that aims for you. It's called Seraph. You might want to look into that. It's a lot of fun. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah, okay. I've been doing that. Tried playing some Star Trek Online with Hunter, and uh, I, I rage quit it so hard I installed it, and then I reinstalled it because I'm I I just. I'm dumb like that. Um, but, but anyway, him and cloud like plowed me through the ground mission stuff that I was stuck in. And they assure me that the ground mission stuff gets far, far worse in, in, uh, episode two. So great. <laughs> it's like, Ooh, I can look forward to that. Yeah. So Hunter's just like, yeah, just give me your, give me your login and I, and I'll just run you through that stuff. Like while you're asleep and you never need to see it. And then we can play spaceships. And I was like, okay. So isn't that nice when you have a game that you don't even have to play? I know, right? It's like it's like a power level in service, but I don't have to pay them. And he's not even in China. Speaking of Star Trek Online, uh, that's one of the games in this week's poll, and uh, it's winning by one vote. Uh, so far, it's been neck and neck between that and 1990s Hard Nova. Really? Yeah. Hard Nova is hard. Nova hard. Is hard. It, hard Nova is a very hard game. Folks, if you don't know what Hard Nova is, there was a game that came out in 1989 called Sentinel Worlds Future Magic Volume 1. That was what it was called, I think. Or it was Future yeah. Worlds Sentinel. It was one of those. I can't get confused. And Hard Nova is the sequel to that that's even harder than that original game, and that game was hard. Oh, wait. Maybe Hard Nova is not what I'm thinking of. What are you thinking of? I, I was thinking of Escape Velocity Nova. So oh, I, different that's Nova. The, that's the 2D top-down eliteness thing okay different animal different animal yeah hard nova is is both space and ground combat like the like the first game and it's hard and yeah for some reason those two games have been neck and neck since i launched the poll like start, i'm like what the hell is happening like either so people want running, a game they what are you running hard nova off of like floppy disks or something uh dos box i'll probably oh, find okay. uh copies i actually have a floppy disk version. I actually own it, but mm-hmm. I don't have a floppy drive. I mean, who has a floppy drive go. anymore? So I might so, have to get a question. So is the ground there. combat actually? I remember in Sentinel Worlds, it was it was like a, a wire diagram almost of corridors, and then your guys were just colored dots. It, it was almost like um, that uh, Dead Knot game. 
it dead not reminds me a lot of my memories of uh of it's it's similar it's, yeah, it's kind of isometric dudes, though, this time oh okay but yeah so i might be playing star trek online on thursday or hard nova i don't know yet i don't know either one sounds like a winner so but uh what i've been playing if, if you play star trek do this yeah play a vault play a romulan because the Romulans, I have a star. I have a, I have a Starfleet okay. character. Starfleet character, because that's what oh, they told okay. me to do. That's what Hunter and Cloud told me to do. Yeah, because that's what we're playing. But I, I was just saying, like, if you want the smoothest experience, if you do a Romulan, because it's the newest content, so therefore they have refined how they wrote the campaign, and it's not painful. The ground stuff oh. is Romulan. I don't sweat. The ground stuff as a Federation makes my skin crawl. I want to shoot myself in the face with a phaser on stun. And just like wake up when it's over. It's not so bad if you turn that third person, turn on that third person like over the shoulder mode. It's a little better yeah, than a little better. As your friend, yeah, but yeah, it's a little better. So what I've been playing is like I've recorded a lot of videos this weekend, and eventually my brain was like, just stop, just you're done. So the first game I went to was Thirty Thirty Death War Redux Redo. Redu- How do you say that word? Redux. Redonkulous. Yeah. Redux. <laughs> that that <laughs> game is that game is so great, you guys. Yeah, I really, really like that. It's so great. It, it, it I think needs we, mouse controls, though. Eh, it may make it too easy. It's The combat actually isn't that bad once you get a hang of it. It's not that bad. I've only killed three ship, two or three ships, though, but it's not that bad. Um, we're going to have them on the podcast next week, folks. By the way, that's an early morning podcast because they're all over Europe. So uh, just FYI, they're going to be on the podcast next week, 6 a.m., Oh god, my time. What the thirty thirty death war guys? Yeah. Really? Ooh, yeah. I'm psyched for that. I know. I should, I'm very I excited. Pay attention to Trello. <laughs> and uh what else I've been playing is the other day, yesterday, I just had the strangest urge to play Drox Operative. I don't know why. But I loaded up Drox Operative and three hours later, hey, I'm still playing Drox Operative. Because <laughs> that's what that game does to me, man. I'll oh, start it's playing easy to it. Do. Oh, I'll it's, start playing it. It's like, oh wait, where the fuck? <laughs> where the hell? Yeah, well, the, well, the thing is, the the game itself, like the the experience of playing it, um, is so transparent that it, it's just like you just click the mouse, and you know you don't have to really think about it. It's just like you click, and the thing that you expect to happen happens, and you know it, it's just like you're just doodling your little ship around. It's beautiful and, design. Beautiful yeah, it doesn't design. make you. It makes you think about what you want to do, and it doesn't make you think about like how to actually execute it right like like a diablo even right because it's like oh god i gotta open up my paper doll and like switch around my stuff and sort all my junk and that and i don't i don't feel that i don't feel the pressure in drox operative it just flows right it flows so so well it flows almost too well (laughs) yeah because it because it just kind of like takes it mines the shop for you and then you can just think about just flying around and like how you want to politic these people against each other and I mean, there's a ton of tweaking you can do if you want to, but you can also just be like, I'm going to get this awesome laser and kill everything. Did and, you say and, awesome laser? Uh, I did. Yes. I did. It just kind of flew out there. <laughs> Speaking of awesome games, though, we're here to talk about, uh, Philip, how would you describe this thing? I'm thinking it's like a kind of a board game, a space board game almost, but is is that wrong to pigeonhole it like that cuz it felt it did feel when i played it very board gamey and not in a bad way it's just like what i felt like when i was playing it how would you describe this thing i would ex- i would describe it like a board game uh 
<laughs> yeah, I think Boom. you totally got the, the, the right idea there. Um, I mean, I, and I, I think it's fine to describe it that way because um, obviously I, it's, it's not really the type of game to compare against a lot of other um, 4X or space strategies out there because as soon as you put them side by side, you're like, wow, these are nothing alike except they're all in space. Um, but yeah, it's definitely inspired by a lot of 4X board games like Eclipse, Twilight Imperium, uh, um, Hegemonia, like just those types of, um, I want to say Euro-style games because they just don't have a super big focus on combat. Um, and in my game, yeah, you're building these tons of fleets, uh, especially on the higher galaxy settings, but the fleets are almost just like another resource. Like you're just kind of stationing them there and guarding um, guarding your planets or guarding your borders. Um, but yeah, they're pretty much just another resource. Um, it does have a relatively simple resource system for people who like those Euro style games. So I think a, a digital tabletop, that's like a good description of the game. Well, the thing that I kind of like about this is it's kind of 4X-y, and yet every turn you're actually doing something meaningful. So um, like Brian and I tried to play Galsiv 3, and there's so much just hitting next turn and waiting on those cues to count down. And it's like, oh, you'll have this technology in 116 turns. Next. Yeah, next, I hate next, that. Next. I mean, and, that's not too bad when you can fast forward time and you're just playing by yourself. That's not terrible. But like yeah, when but you're in a you multiplayer. Imagine, can you imagine play by email? It's like oh. I, have to, I have to send you an email and you have to email us back every time we do nothing. <laughs> this technology will oh, be done. In, this technology will be done in four months. Actual now, months. Yeah, actual months. No, I really did like how. I mean, is that a European? I, I don't play many board games, but is that a European thing that they focus more on building and le- and explore and expanding, and less on combat? Yeah, that's kind of one of the main things about it is uh, the, the resource focused. Um, and a lot of people would describe Euro games. Just, I mean, if you go to like Board Game Geek or something, you're going to find a bunch of people fighting about this. Probably, and I'm going to piss a lot <laughs> of them off. Uh, but yeah, a lot of them. It, it basically means you're not necessarily playing directly against the other players. You're just trying to beat them at the game. Uh, and I feel like that's really what the goal here is. Um, you are doing some things against the other players. Uh, you're voting in political agendas. You're, you're, you are battling them um, from time to time. And towards the end of the game, you're battling them quite a lot. But uh, it really depends on, on how you set up the game. Because there's just tons of, of game setup options. You can even turn off victory conditions on, on battling so that you're basically just guarding planets and you don't gain victory points by winning in battles. So um, you can totally remove that whole portion of the game out of it and it's still just uh, uh, an empire expansion game. So is is the AI mindful of that? Like if you turn off the, the victory points for battles, then it's not going to bother? You know, cause it's, it, uh, because if it is victory points, it might chase war. Yeah, um, either way, you're going to want to capture as many planets as possible. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the AI's first priority. Um, so because of that, if you were to, if you were to uncheck um, the, the little tick box for, um, for planet conquering, I'm trying to think of how that would affect the AI off the top of my head, because we got some really, really complicated AI routines. I think it would pretty much just go along its merry way. But that it, mm. it very well still could win the game, though, um, yeah, just based on whatever else you have checked. Yeah, because I, I was thinking, like, it, it might say, well, I get victory points if I beat him, and there's a weak fleet over there. I'm going to go beat it up. 
But if there's no points involved, it, it shouldn't bother unless it wants actually to get the planet that it's, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, off the bat, it doesn't necessarily just go for weak fleets. So um, even though that might be ideal, but it's just based... The AI is kind of tuned, um, without giving the whole thing away, it's kind of tuned just to amass resources. And mm. um, since it's a resource capturing game, and uh, rather than make a million different permutations of AI routines, we basically said, all right, it's going to do this, which is applicable to any type of game type, and it's going to do it very, very well. To the point mm. where, um, after our, I think after our second patch, where we made some improvements to the AI, people are like, People at first were like, hey, I, I've been playing the game on larger galaxy settings and I'm just killing. I'm just killing the AI. And we're like, okay, well, we can do something about that. Because in our tests, I mean, it was beating us pretty handedly. Um, I'm going to say, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to say I learned yeah, something from the, I learned from the AI watching it. Because like my first game or two, I don't know, this like this video I'm showing in the background on the stream is like, I think my second game. And I'm just sending all of my cruisers in at once to one system like four here go four there and i'm like yeah how is the ai spreading oh wait it's sending one cruiser to each of these four hex oh i should be doing that <laughs> yeah and um and one cool thing which i'm not sure if you guys noticed or not but um one it was actually just a, a debugging tool <laughs> where we could set up a game for all of the AI to just play against each other and just test all the different permutations of, of things that can happen. Um, and I will say if there's one thing that we did really well on our launch was there were very few like just game-breaking bugs. There were some imbalanced things. There were some UI things which are still working on. But as far as crashes and stuff, there were almost none. And a lot of that was because we just had these huge AI games playing against each other forever. And what you can do is you can just watch them play and you can see what they do and just basically get at least the basic strategy going. And sometimes you can see a humongous battle going on as well. Yeah, and that, and that's also a thing. Like if you – let's say you make four different uh, flavors of UI personality, right? And then yeah. you you put all four of those in there and just make them fight each other. And then you can look at like who did how well against – each other right so right and and that way you could have like well this guy's going to go for the economic victory and this guy's going to go for the military victory and like who who wins out and if you can end up with like an even spread then you know your game's pretty balanced out and, and you're good and, right. and i really like that you left it in there right because then that that shows the world like hey we're not afraid to let you watch our ai a little bit so yeah, right. And there's even a lot more we do can that. do with it yeah uh, you know we try to be as open as possible um um, I was kind of talking to you guys about this uh, in the beginning you know, before we started streaming, but this really started out as just an experimental project, which turned into a hobby project that I was working on a lot more often to um, uh, uh, a Kickstarter campaign. And then we we found a, uh, someone who wanted to publish it and then it became a commercial game and became a lot more serious. But we always kept that kind of hobby feel to it. Where we're like, wouldn't it be cool if we just have... We feel like we have a lot of ownership over it, and we want this game to be fun for us, and we want this game to be fun for others. And um, um, it was actually really cool to see all the people even complaining, like on the Steam forums, about things that they that were that were hindering them. Because I'm like, wow, these people are actually playing and enjoying this game that I kind of made for myself. Um, and it felt really cool to then go in and tweak some things and make it more fun for other people. Um, and we got some really big patches coming up uh, with a lot more content on that round. But yeah, I just thought I'd mention that. 
I have a question. How did you hook up with Lock and Load Publishing? Because I'm looking at their uh, their page right now, and their digital offerings are mostly war games. So how did that? I mean, it looks like you're their only digital space game. So how did that come about? Um, it's a really funny story, actually. So uh, our our first Kickstarter, because we actually had had two of them, and I think if you Google it, you'll find I'm not very good at Kickstarter. Uh, but because we never actually, we never actually got funded. Don't, don't, don't feel bad. Kickstarter is very difficult. And I think a lot of people are having some kind of crowdfunding fatigue right now. Cause there are a yeah, lot of, a, there are a lot, lot of, of worthy. Out. Yeah. There's a lot of worthy kicks. I, I look at Kickstarter maybe once every week or so to see if there are any big new space games. And there are some that look great, but it it's, they're not going to be funded. And there's no reason they shouldn't be funded because the, the the people putting together the campaign are doing the they're doing they're doing their job, and at the same time, like no one's biting. So it's like I guess people are just fatigued. And then oh, we see totally. some get into the whole philosophy of the lemon market too, right? Because there's been mm-hmm. enough burn you Kickstarters that now everyone uh-huh. suffers, right? So yeah, it'll yeah, rebound. So anyway, how'd you get involved? With, it. So how'd you get involved with these guys? So they saw our very first Kickstarter and, and contact me because um um. If you look it up, uh, it was called Arcosphere, and it was it was actually much more board gamey. Um, it was kind of more two dimensional with some three D elements, and uh, which kind of fit a little bit more in their wheelhouse. And they they're like, oh, like I love these four X space board games. Um, let's talk to these guys. So they reached out to me, and we started talking. And um, and turns out the the owner, the current owner of Lock and Load Publishing, uh, he was one of the founders of Matrix Games. Um, you know, Armada 2526, uh, Distant Worlds, you know, all kinds of really, yeah. really successful space games. So he really, really knows what he's doing when it comes to space games, space video games. And he kind of sold me on that because at first I looked up their website and I have to tell you, this was right when he was taking over at Lock and Load and they had kind of a cruddy website. And I was like, I think this is for real, but I'm really not interested. And then after talking to him on the phone for a while, um, he was like, listen, at least come out to Colorado and let's talk. Um, I really like what you're doing and I think we could uh, I think we could make something really cool. And uh, I was like, all right, fine. You know, it doesn't hurt. Um, then after meeting with him face to face and just talking over um, his experience at Matrix and um, his experience with space strategy games, I was like, you know, for something that started out as a hobby, you know, years ago, like I might as well just I might as well just go for this. Um and so far, we've built up a really great relationship. We have a really good business partnership and, and a friendship, too. And um, it's been just a kind of a, a cool journey to releasing, you know, what's my first um, uh, commercial game and then Lock and Load's first space strategy game. Yeah, learn everything you can from him and then come tell us. Because <laughs> no, it's, it's like, you know, because you can't have a skill set in everything, right? And, I, and right. what I find is the biggest bear in this market is actually marketing. Like getting oh, your absolutely. game in front of people, and you know, I mean, we're easy, right? But, but, but it's like you know, to get to get like major press coverage and stuff gets worse and worse as time goes on. Um, and then the the whole YouTuber scene, which we're we're kind of not really that because we don't have like a biz, a bajillion. I mean, Pootie Pie, we we are not. Um, yeah. And how you get access to those guys, I could not even. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, I would, I would like to have a conversation with a few of them, but their filters are like, and and you have to put that wall up, right? Cause when you got like a million people following you, 
you know, it's, it's, it's like, there, there's no way that an individual can just get through and be like, Hey, look at my game. So there's gotta be like some Avenue that I don't know of. Um, but yeah, all that stuff. And, and if you figure it out, man, let us know and we'll let everybody else know. Yeah, I definitely plan on, on being open about that kind of thing. We've already had a lot of experience. I know, um, just by the looks of it, our game hasn't gotten a lot of exposure, but, uh, a lot of it was just timing and underestimating the, um, um, underestimating the effect of a certain paradox game that came out recently. Oh, uh, yeah, that thing. So, you, you mean yeah, Europa, yeah. Europa Universalis 4? Was that? No. Europa Universucus is more like it. Uh, Sorry. Still, Sorry. Still, Not really. Yeah, Stellaris kind of uh, took some of the wind out of our sails, but... Um, You're not alone um, there. You're not alone well, there that's, at all. That's a, that game is a beast, right? But yeah. it's a whole different animal. It, it has... It, I mean, it's basically nothing to do with what your game's doing. Because oh, absolutely game, nothing. You know, your I, game is chess, and that game is, is more like a protracted game of... Uh, that game is like a big blanket. It? It's a blanket. It's a blanket that you cover yourself with slowly. <laughs> One yes. one time, a bit at a time. It's a, it's just a giant downy comforter, is what that game is. <laughs> but but the thing is, okay. So I look at Stellaris as like here's a framework, and then we're gonna put stuff in here, right? So it, because you know, like what, looking at Crusader Kings, they're gonna just DLC the bejesus. <sighs> That's not how they sold it though. That's what bugs me. Oh yes, it is. They you weren't listening when they were telling the truth then. Because it's just like that, yeah. But I, I do hope that they throw out some free bones, right? Like, hey, we're going to put a diplomacy system in that's better than what's here. Espionage we're system, in, please, please trade. put in an espionage system. Yeah, trade and espionage are the two things. Because the only way that you can really interact with the other people is beating them over the head, right? And and it's kind of like I would like to set up trade treaties and things and and be friends and because I I would conquer the neighboring uh, I would conquer the neighboring civilizations through kindness right like economic hitman style like go in there and loan them a lot of money you know <laughs> so it's like yeah you need a you need a new Stargate. Yeah, I know you can't afford it, but we'll sell it to you for uh, the interest rate will be very low. But you can't do that stuff, right? And and in order to make it like a real space politics, like you know, dirty universe simulator, they need to allow that stuff, the the nonviolent yet nasty tactics. Um, but it may come. Yeah. But and the, and there's a lot of uh, also like the the whole Master of Orion thing. I I see. Um, with Master of Orion and Stellaris both, like people were expecting a lot of things that aren't quite there yet, and I think both of those games need to kind of flash it. But but and, Master of Orion is still in early access, so it's a different expect true. it's a different it's, expectation. Well, so so Stellaris until the tenth no, is out. Not. <laughs> well, no, it's it's out. It's out, but. Someone said they still see it as in early access, which honestly I think is probably the best expectation to set for yourself. Honestly, yeah. but what does that say to the people who bought your game, though? Too, you know, that's the, the well. It says well. This isn't paradox saying this. This isn't paradox saying this. This is me saying, look, if you're going to get Stellaris, expect it to be like not fully baked. Like there are still things that need to be fleshed out. Oh, more know? like yeah. yeah, what they imply with yeah. I definitely get you with other developer updates and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, so 
since we're talking about trade and diplomacy and things like that, um, in your game, so is the only way I interact with the other races like beating them over the head with my ships and taking their planets, or or can I actually have some sort of a neutral relationship with somebody? Funny you should ask that. <laughs> um, yeah, we do have a political system, which uh, which I'll actually give you a glimpse into what, what, what's going to be coming out in the next patch, too, which I think is really cool. So at the end of every round, all the players get together and they vote on an agenda. Um, right now, as it currently stands, sometimes if you just want to get back into the game, it, like a lot, I find that a lot of players are like, ah, I don't really care if I vote yes or no. You get a victory point if, if you vote for the, the one that wins. Um, but... Um, what ends up happening is if you, vote, if you vote for this agenda, a certain effect is going to happen. Maybe all of your fighters are going to have plus 50% damage, or if you vote against it, all the fighters are going to have minus 50% damage. So if you've now stocked up on fighters... Is that just for a turn? Or, uh, some yeah. of them are for a turn, some of them are for the rest of the game. So okay. uh, it really depends. The political agenda is pretty complicated. I have to say I really like that. Like every, It's not every turn, but it's almost every turn you have a decision to make like that. I really, I really do enjoy that. It kind of reminds me of uh, Star Ruler Two a little bit. Yeah, the ones that I keep getting is like, do you want to flip your your um, influence and production? You know, we'll flip the values tough. for a turn. And then also, there's the one like the planet in the center, right? It, it's like, yeah. hey, you can capture this planet if you got four troops. Does it? And it sets that for the rest of the game, right? Like it just, you just get there and drop four ground troops, and you got it. Or, or yeah, because that seems like it, it's kind of a like if you can get there first, that's good. But if anybody else gets there first, you kind of don't want them to have it that easy, right? Um, and there there are certain balance issues that come with these that we're working on, and that one in particular is one that is that was one that I was focusing on. I was like, how can I make this political agenda just a little bit more interesting? And what's nice is we kind of built a system. Um, our game engine basically allows us to modify anything and then unmodify anything kind of on the fly um so a lot of these types of effects you'll find are more than just you know plus x percent to your damage or you know a lot of them get really complicated um and then what we're about to add is uh is a new strategic action so after every round you also get to choose uh what we call a strategic action which is like uh you get a really good bonus in one particular area uh, maybe you get a free technology, which those can get really pricey, um, or you get to explore uh, another, you get to explore one more time with uh, ships with a fleet that's already been uh, depleted of its fuel. So you kind of get like an extra fuel tanker. Um, and then further, there's some supplementaries, which I won't necessarily explain over a podcast like this because it can be a little bit complicated. Uh, but what we're adding is a political strategy. So What's going to happen is the player that has the highest influence, the highest com- uh, total influence from all their planets, they get to craft their own political agenda the next turn, and um, and they can actually have that political agenda affect a single player, whether that's themselves or another AI. So if, if you have the most influence, but you're really down on resources, and you know that you're not going to uh, defeat them maybe in battle that round, and the game's coming close to an end, you can pick the political strategy uh, you can craft one that says uh, the Legion of Reichs is now, for the next turn, going to have half of their uh, total fuel. Um, and the more that you choose this political, the more that you kind of level it up, the stronger they'll get. So maybe it'll be maybe it'll go from twenty five percent to fifty percent, because we just have all these different little sh- political components that are, like I said, really flexible because of how we ended up developing them. And during your turn, you're going to be able to craft it. And then that's the agenda that gets voted on the next round. So 
So mm. you create it, and then you have to try to pass it. And if you pass it, you can totally gimp another player for that round, or you can really give yourself a big buff. So it kind of adds another layer to that political, um, you know, achieving victory without just without warfare necessarily, mm. just through political savviness. So the influence thing, can you actually, uh, you know, is it within your plan? I haven't seen it do it in the game yet, but maybe maybe you'll build it in. Um, where if I have enough influence, then planets nearby just start converting over to me. You know, like if, uh, or whenever you seed the galaxy, right? Because I notice whenever you go, uh, you look at a planet and it'll say like, here's here's who the planet likes and here's who the planet doesn't like. Yeah, yeah. So... Do, can that flip? Like, if I have a lot of influence, like maybe a planet that that uh, was neutral or or whatever, or uh, like disliked me, can change neutral. And if they were neutral, maybe they'll put a like on me. And that way, it's trouble for anybody that invades them. You know, like yeah. if they attack a planet of mine, then that planet of theirs is going to not like it. Yeah, actually, a couple of things like that. Not not exactly what uh, what you were saying. Um, Although those are some definitely good ideas. Uh, but with the influence, there's one thing where um, you can you can purchase a technology that you can then kind of, it's a more of a research that you can use on a planet that you've bartered with, and then you can actually conquer them after that. Um, yeah, clear, clear up the barter thing for me. Because, okay, I go to a planet, and I've, I've got a carrier, and i got ground troops, right? Yeah. And, and it says, okay, do you want to barter with them, or do you want to invade them? So if I invade them, I get their resources right now. If I barter with them, I get the whatever that they have, which one of, one of those was extreme, man. It was like, you, you know, if you barter with us, we'll give you 40 carriers. And I was like, holy shit, because <laughs> I was playing on like a small map like what Brian's got here, and 40 yeah. carriers is a hell of a fleet. So it was just like, yeah, I'll do that. But I didn't understand, like, do I actually own that planet? You know, do, did I barter and like take them the nice way? And that way, you know, they gave me some stuff, but I still get their resources or or what situation are they in? So I'll give you kind of the, the lore explanation and then I'll give you like just the straight algorithmic explanation. Okay. So the lore explanation is that you go there and you land some ground troops and you say, hey, we're going to we're going to take you guys over. We're going to uh, completely deplete your planet of resources every single you know round or whatever that ends up being. Let's say every round is 100 years. Um we're going to completely deplete those from now until you guys have nothing left. Um, and they say, well, uh, we do have all these carriers sitting around. Do you want to take those instead? Uh, and, you know, and they're like, okay, yeah, sounds good. Um, in, both can, in both instances, you get one victory point. So you get a victory point for bartering. You get a victory point for conquering. Now, if but you I barter never, with them. I never get the resources out of the planet, though, afterwards. That's right? correct. That's correct. So what you're giving up is those straight resources, which can be very flexible. Uh, and instead, you're getting a one-time now bonus, uh, which sometimes can be very useful. So, for example, um, you mentioned that uh, you know if you, if you decide to conquer them, you get the resources now. You actually have to wait one round to start mining those resources. Um, so you don't get them right at that moment. You do get them until the end of the game. But, oh, okay. uh, with, with bartering, once you barter with them, you can never conquer them again. But you do get the bonus right then, you know, on that round, and um, you can use them for whatever you wish. And there's all kinds of different barterings. For instance, um, you can even refuel your entire fleet and get a bunch more fuel, and um, which allows you to kind of get like a, a strategic advantage by uh, moving much further in that round than you would have been able to before. 
in which case, let's say you have a planet that's further away from you that has a ton of resources. You can barter with the one planet, which maybe didn't have any resources, but it had influence and you didn't need it. Um, and then you can uh, capture that other one that has a ton of resources and get that every round. So there's all kinds of different things you can do. You can get technology by bartering. Um, you can get a bunch of units by bartering. You can just get a bunch of resources right then and there. So let's say you're going to get five resources uh, you know, for the rest of the game. Well, you can choose to just get 20, 25 resources right then and there. Use them how you wish, but you know, not have any more of those resources for the rest of the game. Okay. Yeah, because I, I kind of see that in like uh, in a civilization game, right? It would be like you took the city. Do you want to own the city or do you want to raise the city? You know, like you can you can like loot it and burn it down, or you can kind of take ownership of it and just kind of bring it into your empire, or you could actually make like a satellite state out of them. Which, which is kind of what I was hoping was going on with the bartering was, was like, okay, you're going to give me this thing, so I'm not going to just you know have a conquest of your planet and and you know kill all of you, um, but but you're going to give me this thing. So at that point, it's almost like I want some kind of a trade agreement with them where they do give me like a trickle of resources, but it wouldn't be near what I'd have got if I'd outright took them, uh, right? You know, and, something and- like that. Yeah, and that would actually fit in. Um, we've actually revisited bartering, I think, in every single patch that I've released. We've tweaked bartering in one way or another. So, uh, you know, I'm all open to the ideas. But one other area where the barters are um, especially effective, as you mentioned, is when you click on a planet, you can see who they're allies with and who they're enemies with. And this is just kind of generated at the very beginning of the game. But the, the trick here is um, those, those relationships only affect bartering. So, okay. uh, so let's say I kill an enemy, I conquer, I should say, an enemy planet of, uh, of, of another um, neutral planet. Now I'm going to be kind of in their good graces. I'm going to have like a, a, a plus one to my, um, to my diplomatic relations with them. When I go to barter, you can sometimes get double what they were going to offer you before. So if you strategically conquer certain planets and barter with others, because if you barter with like an ally, for instance, the same thing happens. But if you conquer an ally... Your barter is halved. Well, how do you so, how do you know if they're allied with, you know, like Planet A and Planet B are sitting next to each other? So how do I know that A and B are allied with each other? Yeah. So I, if I you, to, yeah, yeah it's fine. Um, if you click on the hexagon, you're going to see green arrows for allies. You're going to see uh, you're going to see red red lines, I should say, for um, for enemies. Also, if you look at the system info, so right-click system info, it's also going to tell you their list of allies and enemies. Now, the trick here is that um, you're not going to know who their allies and enemies are until they've been exposed on the map. That way, you can't necessarily see where uh, where certain planets are through the fog of war. They uh-huh. kind of know through history, I should say, if you want to look at the lore aspect. But um, those planets need to be uh, uh, explored by you or any of the other players before you can know where that planet actually lives. Um, but yeah, those, so there's two different ways to do it. There's the lines, and then there's also just the system info. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just, I, I guess I just had not noticed the lines in there, or I, I hadn't encountered planets that had that relationship yet or something. Yeah, just but, all planets do. So, uh, you know, if you pick it up again, just left-click on the hexagon uh, where the planet lives, and uh, you'll see green lines and red lines kind of dispersing from it. Okay. You know, it might be it might be actually like a graphical artifact of the thing on on my box. And that that's the thing I w- I wanted to bring up to you. So, on my laptop, 
like the one machine that I've got, it, it looks just like what Brian's got on his screen there. The other one, uh, which ha- it also has an NVIDIA card in it, but it's a 960 instead of a 970. Um, mm. And on that one, the the hexes are dark black, but the background is also very dark. Do you, do you like randomly pick a background? Because on his, it's kind of purple and blue, right? But it's light. And then the one that it chose for me, it was like a really dark background. And, and you said it so was a that, laptop, right? Yeah. And and I had the gamma like all the you know, I I brought the gamma up till I could see it. Um but I but I had the brightness of the laptop all the way up and it still wasn't helping out. So but it was it was like a gamma thing. So Yeah. I'm, it's I actually that's um I think that's a it's not randomly generated. Um it's just that on some computers, depending on the graphics memory, um that that background just doesn't render correctly, but um, I've definitely sent me your specs, and I can look into it. It's actually pretty rare. Okay. I think I had a, my my wife's laptop was the only one I was ever to reproduce that on, and it was it's, it sporadic. We have it; it didn't happen all the time. Yeah. But I'm definitely interested in seeing you know what your specs were. Um, okay, because I think that, I would almost like default to you know like it's kind of a lavender there. I would almost make that like the background color, even without the graphic there. And that way, if it doesn't load or something, then you still end up with a with a light background color. Yeah, yeah, that's and a that good, way that's it kind of it kind of negates it. But yeah, I, I thought it was kind of weird, and I and I figured it might have been like a one off thing, but it I loaded it twice, and it you know did it to me both times. So yeah, we'll we'll troubleshoot that offline. Yeah, um, sure. But yeah, so um, maybe that's why I wasn't seeing the the arrow vector stuff. Or yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, so it, in this here. Um, what I've seen the computer do is you build cruisers and you throw the cruisers out. You just spray them, right? Mm-hmm. And when the when the ships, because uh, a cruiser can move two hexes. That's right. And when you move two hexes, you don't reveal the hex that was in the middle, though. Mm-mm. At least it didn't on mine. So so they're almost it's it's like a jump, not a not a drive through, right? Yeah, that's right. It's kind of like. Um... And if I can't you were to move visualize twice. it. It's not like I can move one and then move him again. So I can move one or move two, but I only move one time. Right. I mean, you can if you choose the expiration strategy or if you barter for a refuel. But um, but other than that, just vanilla. Yeah, you can't move twice. Um, the reason being, it was it was way too powerful to do that. Uh, you basically had you only had to spend half the fuel with cruisers, and you could reveal everything around you and just skip moving to the ones that were directly in front of you. And I was like, well, you know, what's, what's the point of that? So I kind of view it almost like you're playing on a two-dimensional plane, but it's, space is 3D. And you right. may be going to a certain area of space, but, um, you know, but you would be revealing everything that's necessarily totally above and below you. That's, um, that's kind of one, one well, game I mean, lore explanation. But as far as the gameplay, it was just way too powerful to allow that, even though we wanted the cruisers. We wanted an exploration-type ship. Yeah. So the the way the ships the dynamic of that and and the combat um, and one other thing to put in I didn't notice if there was a box to skip spectating AI combat but it seemed like every time the AI fought the AI I was kind of subjected to I have to sit here and and kind of sit it out which on a on a really big map with you know like twenty battles a turn going down that can take a while to get their turn over with so it's kind of like I just want to see like a little explosion and some numbers fly up or something. And uh, yeah, it, um, it, if there's a lot of it now, if I'm playing against other humans, yes, I want to enjoy their their defeats. Uh, but right, you know. that's kind of one of the reasons why um, 
you know, it's like we can make a ton of a ton of nice features, but at, at some point um, we have to, we have to ship the game too. But it's something mm-hmm. that I've gotten enough comments on that we're definitely going to patch that in. The reason we decided not to right off the bat was because it was. Um, I mean, we were, our hope is that more more people will play this game multiplayer. That's really where it shines, I think. Yeah, and, I, and I think immediately the looking at it, that was the strength, right? It was yeah. because, like I said, like we tried playing other 4X games in multiplayer, and it's bad because yeah. you're not moving stuff and doing things every turn. But here, yeah. it's more like a board game. Um, I've, I've never played the Fantasy Flight one. Um, I cannot think of the name of it's Twilight, Twilight Empires. Yeah, Twilight Imperium. I've never played it, but I've seen it. And that just looking at it makes me want to play it. Um, and, and I keep hoping, like, God, I, I, if they would just make a digital version of that, right? Because all my friends are scattered all over the place. Like, I'm in North Carolina, and Brian is in L.A., and Hunter is also in North Carolina now, but he's still, like, three hours away, right? So that's – board game night's really hard. So, no, exactly. That was you know? that was exactly why I, I started making this game. I love board games. I mean, like I said, like, one of the games I'm playing right now, like, I, I'm, it's a board game. Um and uh, I was like, there's just, I can either do Vassal, which I, nothing against them. You know, it's like people put a lot of time into that and a lot of people really enjoy it. But I really don't like playing anything on Vassal. I was like, I'm just going to make a straight, you know, 3D game, however long it takes to make. And uh, it's going to have all the rules built in, like a normal video game. Um, and that's kind of what we have here. So you'll see a lot of elements from Twilight Imperium because that was definitely an inspiration um, mm-hmm. you'll have a lot of the resource management from games like Eclipse and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's de- like I said, definitely like a, like a digital board game. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing in, uh, the way that you move your ships around and stuff, well, but before I cover that, so w- what I started talking about, like the combat, like w- what we're watching here. Um, so it has a, it has a mechanic that is, uh, it reminds me of like Warhammer on the tabletop, right? Whenever units shoot at each other, you have to shoot the guy that's closest. You can't shoot past him and hit the mm-hmm. guy behind him that you really want to kill. Um, yeah. So I, so I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, well, okay, so my fighters are kind of my scrubs, right? So yeah. every carrier is going to shoot four fighters out as a screen in front of it and yeah. they're going to get to shoot, but they're, they're there to die. Um, yeah. And then, so I've got my cruisers behind that and then the carriers, and then the dreadnoughts. But wait a minute, the dreadnoughts have a lot of hit points. So would I maybe put the dreadnoughts in front of the carriers and let the dreadnoughts take the beaten because it, it might take longer to kill them and I have more things that are shooting while the dreadnoughts are dying versus by the time, if I had the dreadnoughts in the back, they'll burn up all my frontline guys and then they get to the to the units that last a long time and there's only a few of them. So, you know, I, I'm looking at like it, it's kind of like a rock paper scissorsy sort of thing there, but I, I'm there's a calculation and I just haven't arrived at it, like what the right mix is. So right, um, and it depends on what your tech, what technology advances you have, and um, and I, I'll say this: I'm talking a lot about what the game doesn't have. Uh, I, I think right now it does a lot of things good, but I think it's also good to talk about things that I feel like need work on it. And one of the areas of that was. Um, more seamless formations during battles once you get into the late game. Um, uh, next patch, you guys will see, we'll have a... You can basically set up formation for an entire set of ships. So you have your fighters, your cruisers, your dreadnoughts, um, um, and your carriers. And you can basically prioritize which ones are first just in one click. So you move your dreadnoughts to the front, 
boom, all your dreadnoughts are going to go into the front. Um, and then further, uh, a lot of people were like, hey, I think this should be uh, more of like a war game, and I want more input on what happens during battles. Now, if you play if you play any board games, you're going to know that battles typically, unless it's a specifically a tactical game, a lot of times it's just you roll the dice and whoever wins wins. It's like risk, you know. Even uh, yeah. Twilight Imperium, it's pretty much risk based, and you'll find that this is um, you know at least similar to that. And I kind of tried to recreate it, but when it comes to what people want in a video game, they're like, well, we have you know a computer that's able to do all these calculations. What can you give me? We're going to have yeah. two different. Uh, we're going to have two different battle variants. Um, one of which is going to be kind of more morale based, where uh, it's not just a you know you explode everybody and whoever dies first loses. Um, you're going to have ships that have different experience too. And going into the battle, every time you start losing ships, the morale of your your fleet itself is going to uh, go down. And when your morale gets all the way down to the bottom, you're going to basically be you know your guys are going to retreat and you're going to lose the battle. But you can actually come go back to fight another day too. Yeah, which, um, which is nice because you can get out of there before you have attrited down to nothing. So. Right, and so we're kind of going to build that mechanic a little more fluidly into the the future system. But I'm also going to allow players to just use this vanilla as well in case they don't want to, um, you know, have that much yeah. input. They're like, well, I actually like the resource stuff, and I'd rather just do that instead of, um, you know, instead of having all this morale stuff and war gamey type stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, because you could just say, like, you know, just calculate it, like, whenever I throw guys. Because that's kind of the the system. Did you play the old Warlords games? They're from, like, way back, right? But you would take a stack of guys, right? Uh-huh. And, you, and you would have, like, you know, your, your elves and dwarves and whatever. And each of them would have, you know, how tough they were or whatever. And you could set what order you wanted them to fight in. But yeah. it, would be, it would be mano y mano. You know, whatever the enemy brought in his stack, you know, it's like, okay, his giant spider and your elf jump mm-hmm. into the ring. Who who won? And yeah. then the next guy from the losing side will jump in and fight the remaining hit points of that guy, right? So it's it was just like a – it's almost like in your game if you just lined everybody up straight, right? Yeah, and you had to file. kill them down the row, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was that kind of deal. So it's, it's almost like uh, the people that just want a resolution – Right, it, you could let them set like priority. Like, do you want the fighters up front? Do you want the dreadnoughts up front? You know how are you can do it, and then you could just like make two two lines and just knock them down and just yeah. like, okay, that these guys won. Um, it, which, yeah, we could I definitely mean, just use an auto resolve too for people who just don't want to sit and watch that. You know, like if you have a really huge battle, you've been working up for it. Like, yeah, I kind of want to watch how this plays out, but if not, yeah. then we can also have some like auto resolve, especially with the with the AI, since we've gotten a lot of comments on that recently. Yeah, well, I, I mean, what I'm talking about would almost be an auto-resolve. It would just show the ships lined up and then check them off real quick. And then you would see, like, this many of, my, of these ships died and that many of his died, and this is the order that they were in. And that yeah. way you kind of can into it, like, oh, yeah, he put his cruisers up front, and I yeah. didn't, and that's why I lost. Um, but, yeah, stuff like that. Um, but anyway, so the other thing about moving the ships in this game, so you have the ships down at the bottom of the hex, and they're kind of, like, elbow to elbow with each other and and a ui thing i'm I'm sure you're fixing because you said about making the ships easier to select um yeah the picking on them thank god so yeah it's a little it's a little tough and sorry uh, guys (laughs) but the but the thing so like i pick a ship like if i'm going to move a carrier um i click a carrier and then i choose where it's going to go and then it gives me three sliders so it's Mm -hmm. like how many ground troops are going to be on the carrier how many fighters and then how many carriers are you moving 
Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> and and the care. I don't know how many ground troops. Is it four? It's like four fighters, four ground troops on a carrier. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So so it's basically like you move the carrier slider, and then the maximum of the other two is four times that. And but it's like every time I go to move a fleet, I have to individually select like okay, here's the cruisers. I'm going to move these and go there and then I'm going to move the carriers and whatever. So it's almost like if I could just say, okay, make a fleet, I'm going to stick this many cruisers, this many dreadnoughts, that many carriers in it and it moves as a unit. And then it's more like a board game thing where I have a piece on the board and I can just grab it and drag it to a new hex. And you know, like if it's my battle fleet, like I'm, I'm not going to garrison places with it. Um, so yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that's funny that you mentioned that because, um, I think it was just last week I was talking to uh, David Heath, uh, the owner of the publishing company, and he kind of mentioned something too. He's like, yeah, maybe you should just set up like, just like you said, set up a fleet. Maybe you can even give it a name. Um, and then that fleet is just going to act as a whole. Um, and our plan down the line, this isn't in a recent patch or in a, in an upcoming patch, but it will be probably much later on um, is we're going to kind of add leaders to that as well. So, Fleets actually make sense. It's not just necessarily a, a an amalgamation of you know just a bunch of ships, but you're gonna have a leader that goes with it as well. But um, that would I have gotten good. that would be really good actually once you get the morale system in because the leader could be a morale boost, right? Like if you got a leader there, they're not gonna break and run. But yeah, exactly. Th- so, so I'm actually so really excited about that system because I, I I did a similar thing in a, in another game. So it was uh, you have troops and they're lined up and they knock each other off, right? Yeah, and but you look at how many units did you bring and what's the health of the guys. So you add up, you know, it's like, okay, we have 400 hit points on our side because you add up the health of everybody. So there's 400 hit points of units that came here. Um, So once half of those get killed, then you start getting morale problems, right? So, so it would be like, okay, then, then you have a percentage based on consider 50% to be a hundred percent. Then every percent under that, is is like okay we're going to make a morale check on on units and if more than half the units decide to bug out then the whole army runs right and, that's you know, that's so, pretty similar to what we want to do and the leaders will definitely play into that too um the yeah. leaders will play into it the races will play into it so the legion of reichs if you read the descriptions they're kind of more of like an honor base like a like a, a war-based uh race they're probably going to have a higher starting morale uh the xudun um they might have a higher one too, because there's just a queen and a bunch of you know ant men running around. But maybe the humans they value human life better. So um, those are things I think can fit nicely into the system that we have, because our system is kind of just it's a you know it's just like you're kind of run of the mill uh, battle system uh, with with formations thrown in as well. Um, but I think that we could definitely add a lot more spice with um, with with that morale and leader based system too. So we're working really hard to get that out as soon as possible. Well, you were saying that you have all these systems. You have a battle system. You have a diplomacy system. You have this expansion system. Yeah. Uh, but but you were also saying earlier something I remember is that you said you have an engine where you could just tweak things almost on the fly. I think you were saying. Yeah. So uh, it basically allows you to do an effect. So uh, the strategic actions, the uh, tactical actions, and the political agendas, um, even the technology. Those add effects to the game, which then kind of just stay in place or they expire. Um, so it's not necessarily like, hey, we can just add morale, which is a completely new stat, but it can add totally new. It's, it's basically like um, 
update loop checks. So it'll check for anything that's within that list uh, at runtime, uh, which basically allows us to change the base rule set of the game. Uh, so obviously we can't add a new stat to a, to a ship, but we can change anything within the existing rule set of the game. We can tweak that on the fly. So that's kind of how that plays into it. And then the, the changes that I'm talking about now with the battle system, for instance, um, that's kind of more of like a, it's like an add-on to the base functionality of the game, which of course we're going to release free. So you're not going to have to buy that or anything. We just want to make the game as good as possible. And, um, if people, you know, really love it, then we'll release expansions where we, you know, uh, get a bunch more artwork, get a bunch more races, that kind of thing. But as far as just the base core game, we just want to make that as good as possible. So that'll come out free. Well, what, 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 wow, I couldn't <laughs> talk there for a second. What, and what engine are you got? Which engine are you guys running all this on? Uh, so it's an open source engine called JMonkey Engine. Um, it's kind of a silly name, but uh, I came across it probably five years ago now. And um, it was, I would say it was just coming out of its infancy. It was developed by one guy and then a whole crew of people started taking over. And now it's incredibly active. Um, And because it's open source, we can look at how all the stuff was done. If someone's using something like Unity, they're kind of stuck with, um, with however Unity decided to implement the rendering engine for the graphics or the sound engine for the sounds. And you can add in scripts and stuff, but you can't change the basics of the engine. We can. And um, since it's all just straight code, it's not, um, you know, just adding scripts on top of an engine, we can pretty much do whatever we want. So it's really flexible. Um, And we decided to make the game really flexible off the bat, not necessarily because I thought, hey, uh, we're going to have to change a bunch of things because people are going to complain about them or whatever, you know, but we were like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if? And then it kind of just kind of just ran with it from there. It and folks, if you want to check this out, it's J Monkey Engine one word. And because uh, right. I'm looking it up right now, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes because it it does look kind of fascinating. Now you were saying if the game um, gets popular enough, you'll have expansions. I want to talk about expansions, but in a in a minute. But I wanted to talk about something that fascinating that happened with this game. When this game first came out, and I hope this doesn't hurt, it was 30 bucks, if I recall correctly, and you got slammed in Steam. That's right. Just, <laughs> just slammed. It was like... It was bad. Oh, it, was, it was really bad. But, but here's the thing, you guys. If you look at the Steam page now, it's almost... It's, it's in the 80s. It's positive. It's very positive. How did you do – I mean, I know you lowered the price. It's $20 now instead of 30 which is a bit easier for people to swallow. But what else did you do to cause such an amazing turnaround like that? Honestly, uh, I looked at the people who gave us bad reviews. I, I kind of – I read through them with an open mind. I, I tested out the things that they were saying, and I was like, yeah, and you're absolutely right. Killed. And then I had them killed. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, no, really, so I, um, I just, I just looked at what they were, what they were you know, saying about the game, what they didn't like. And I was like, here's the thing. I'm going to change this. I'm going to, I'm going to fix this. Um, if you like what we've done, then feel free to give us a positive review. If you feel like it was a waste of money or whatever, you know, then I just hope that this change, you know, positively affects other people. And then people obviously on the forums who were, like I was saying, who were very vocal about, knowing what the game could be, but not being shy as gamers. Most of them are not very shy on Steam forums um, about what they really don't like about it. And we just kind of read through those. We prioritize. We put out 
Um, I think four patches, like boom, 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 made probably four dozen fixes or tweaks and got the game into a really good shape to the point where uh, now activity is a little bit um, lower on the patch end, but we're, we're planning some really big things like I've been talking about. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Just listening well, to the community, it's pretty simple. The best thing that you can do to promote sales of your game is because this is the thing that I look at, and I know a lot of people do. I go there, and I look at the game, and I'm like, okay, it's within my price margin. The second thing that I look at is when was their last update, and how many updates have they done since it released, and what's the frequency? Not not so much like what did they fix, but just how how often do they touch this thing? And you know, if it, so, it's like if if it's like hot fix stuff, and then there was like one major patch of stuff. Then I'm cool with that, you know. If it, but if it's like if the game has sat for like three months and there's been you know not a peep out of the developer, I get mm-hmm. kind of shy. Yeah, definitely. So. Um, and besides my wife having a baby uh, ten days ago, I think we've been pretty decent about at least addressing anything that people post on there. And like I said, it's been a little bit slow lately since uh, since another game came out, <laughs> but um, you know, hopefully we start gaining steam. Um, and it's honestly, but you know, it's kind honestly. Of- I think it's actually to your benefit that it's slow because the people that were that were early adopter, you know, interested, we're going to take a we're going to take a risk on your project here and now they're happy, all right? And you're continuing to work on it and you keep those people happy. However, um the the nightmare scenario is that before you get the UI stuff all smoothed out and whatnot, and and it's still kind of a little bit wonky in some places. You know, it's like yeah. you have to play it to try to figure it out. You get a hold of somebody like Total Biscuit that grabs it, where he gives a game fifteen minutes to make it or break it. Um, and you know you're going to get burnt forever, <laughs> right? So, oh, totally. So it's kind of like you don't want to get popular until you kind of smooth things, and and then you're cool. So it's kind of like you're getting enough exposure to get the you know enough people are playing it to give you the feedback that you need to get it there and then you know once once it actually is where you want it then you hope the big guys get it but not before so, right and that's so i think uh, you're yeah. in the right place here yeah I, I totally believe that too um especially with some of the the ui things that we have planned and some of the battle things that we have planned once we get those major things ironed out um you know, then I won't feel anxious about anybody playing it. Really, it's like I my hope is that people either love the game or hate the game for what it is. Yeah. And if they hate it for what it is, then there's nothing I can do about that, and that's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. But if they hate it for the UI, then I feel like I've kind of failed in that area. So, yeah. um, so yeah. my advice on the UI thing, and, it, and it's like I, I want to talk to you after this at some length about what your plan is and that because I, whenever I look at this, I see a lot of potential for things that you could do. There's, so I'm really curious what you're It's not do. just UI potential. There's potential for more diplomacy, more there's oh, espion, yeah, but there's it, tons but of I'm, potential here. Well, I'm just saying the the information that is in the game and then being able to present that in a way that the player can kind of drink that in without having to work to, to look at it, right? And it, yeah. if you click something, like if you right-click on a planet and then you see you know, what their stats are, and then you go away from it, it's like, oh, now I don't remember what those were. But if there, yeah. but if there was a way to reveal the stats across all the planets, you know, like bring an overlay up, and it just says, okay, everybody's production and influences, whatever, or put a heat map across the, you know, the thing, or whatever it is. Um, because if I'm going to invade the enemy... 
and I want to know what planet's my target, it's like, what do I need right now from him? You know, do I right. do I want to take his influence planets away? Well, where where are his hot ones? Like, I'm going for that, um, that kind of deal. But like a lot of the things that you're that you play here, your tactic stuff or strategies, um, it it reminds me of like if you were playing like Magic the Gathering or something, right? So you can throw an instant out on the table and just say, okay, the rules change for right now. Or right. you could put an effect that stays for a while but expires, like counts down or whatever. And I'm thinking, well, okay, so this game is like 80% of a board game as it is. So I think the the formula that I would go with is is look at the UI as like, okay, if this was a board game, and and I didn't have the luxury of of like hovering numbers in the air. How would I present this? Right. You know, it would have to be like on a card or something. So whenever uh, whenever somebody puts an ability in play like that, especially if you got four human players that are doing it, you want to see what the other people just played, right? Unless you're trying to hide that. So it would be a thing of almost like okay, they have uh, these cards in their hand now because they've unlocked them, and you can play that card. But that card lays on the table. And then when you're rotating the the map around, it would almost be like tabletop simulator, right? Where it's like there's physically a card laying on the board, and you can you know zoom over there and read it, right? And, you know stuff like that. So I mean it's it's art assets to do that, but you know, there's there's easy ways to get around that, but still. Um, but it, I I guess it's kind of like the Occam's razor, like what is the easiest way to show this information, and it's usually the best. And and that comes down to like how would I do it if it was physical? Yeah, and with a lot so. of things, to be honest, it's like how about we just start with any way to see this information? You know, like one of the things that we're going to be putting in is just what's the current political agenda in effect? Um, it was something I was like, yeah, I know because I've been playing this, and I'm kind of like, oh yeah, like you know, I just voted on that. I remember what it was, but then people are like, oh, what did I just vote on? So um, our yeah. definitely that- our start is just to go through everything that people do, show that to people for as long as it's in effect somewhere, um, and then mm. start from there. But Yeah, and also, um, like, you have that log window down there, right? I would yeah. use it. I w- in fact, I would make it a tabbed long w- log window. So I would have, like, your, uh, your purchases and stuff. Like, what did you spend points on, you know, influence or, or uh, production or what? That would be a tab. And then combat results, especially even for the AI fighting AI or whatever, then yeah. you could say, you know, like in the combat thing would be like AI one showed up with this many ships and AI B showed up with this many ships and they fought in this system and this AI one, right? And you would have like, you know, one line per combat that, that went on or something. And that right. way I kind of get a sense of like what went on, especially if I have like quick auto resolve stuff on because it's just going to blink by really quick. And then I can see, like, oh, yeah, these systems just changed hands or something. Um, and then if it was if it was a thing that changed, like, in the last turn, I would almost kind of color the hex different or, or blink it or something like that. Um, and Yeah, we kind of have that. Like, for instance, the, the, the player that just went during their turn, you can see everything that they've done. Like, for instance, right now on the stream, you can see that that planet was recently moved into, so it's kind of blinking, but... Um, I guess you mean for like an entire round, right? That players would want to see that. Yeah, or or um, if not that, then what about uh, I just turn an overlay on, right? Like I just want to I want to see it momentarily, but I want to see it map wide. So yeah, kind of just I like pop on an overlay. Of it. 
Yeah. And then you could have multiple overlays the person could select. Like, okay, show me um, – it, it's almost like uh, if you're playing Crusader Kings or something, right? It's like show me show me the political view. Now show me my influence view and whatever. And it's, and it's like the countries change color into different – you know, um, there's a different legend for each map. Type. Yeah, those are and all cool it, ideas. Basically, you're just you're just flipping like, okay, color color all the hexes based on you know who owns them, and now color them based on how much production is there and stuff like that, or you know, um, but yeah, that that would just be like a momentary thing down there, or you, or you could click it and say, okay, the, I want the map in this state until I change it, or yeah. whatever. And then uh, as far cool, as like the the selecting ships and stuff go. It's like I'm gonna select the hex, and then you could have the the ship selection thing. It would almost be like um, at the bottom of the screen. It could show like larger versions of the ships, and then I could actually just physically drag the ship off the bar at the bottom up into you know whatever hex it needs to go to or something like that. So yeah, I think that's almost. More... I, I yeah, would that's just almost make it exactly like my developer more... even. Um, uh... Because we've been looking at just how to totally redo that whole ship picking thing. Like we want to get rid of it completely, and that was yeah. that's really similar to what my developer was proposing too for that. So because um, that's definitely good. That's some validation on that idea. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm playing to the strength of it resembling a board game. So yeah. it's kind of like go all the way. Just make you know like drag the ships like they're plastic things out there and stuff like that, and just make it tangible, and then yeah. it, it's even better, right? Because you wanna you wanna give the players that feel like they're sitting around a table together. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, I, I think that's actually that. Just to kind of say the same thing over again, but yeah, the strength of the game I think is the resemblance to a board game. Because when people look at that and they say, "Okay, this kind of looks like a board game," that tells you a lot right off the bat. Like each turn is going to be significant, and there's right. not build there's no build cues in this thing. And stuff like that, and and right, it's right. very multiplayer friendly. I, I could tell that just looking at the screenshots. Like this is going to be good in multiplayer, and it's not going to waste my time a lot. Right, right. Yeah, it does. I like how it doesn't waste time. Now I've only played the smallest maps, and those games, which are, it's fascinating, it only takes like twenty minutes. Like you lost or you won. It's like oh, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely got some flexibility with how long the games can take. <clears throat> But uh, how, how I forget how big can the maps go? So um, on the stream right now, you can see there's there's three rings around the middle. You can go up to ten rings, uh, and then you can also uh, there's a you can set the the resources for the planets, which it actually scales all the technology prices with it off the bat. It scales all of the um, barters off the bat, stuff like that. Um, so you can set the resources to be like. 10 times what the resources are uh, normally. That's in case you, you really want to like build a ton of fleets or something like that. Um, and then you can also set the planet density, that kind of thing, which again, it'll either speed up or, uh, or uh, decrease the uh, increase or decrease the length of the games. Um, you can really play a game for hours, depending on uh, how you set it up. If you turn off victory conditions, that's going to make the game go longer. Um, we really wanted to give all the options that we developed for like debugging or just, hey, wouldn't it be cool if? And we're like, let's just give all these players these options and let them kind of tune it how they want it. 
So, like, the the only thing that you can build to enhance a planet is actually to build a space station slash, um, thank you, um, to build, like, a space station slash factory there, right, so you can produce ships. Because there's really nothing else that you're producing other than research, right? Right, and um, we do have plans on that moving forward. Right now, it's kind of just, it serves two purposes. It's a marker, and it also serves to show that um, how, how many of us how many ships that you can create there that round mm. in particular so, yeah, so it shows you and it shows other players so it really kind of serves a, a simple but really important purpose okay because the the thing about uh, the game that i don't think what we've covered anymore is you do have some interesting limits on the player but where you force them to have decisions um like in the early colonization phase right the one that i run into is basically yeah i can build a lot of ships but i don't have enough fuel to run them everywhere so yeah. I can either scout, which is cheap, or I can actually run my troops out to conquer planets, which the planets don't seem to resist, right? It's just like one ground troop's enough to do it. That's um, right, yeah. Yeah, so it's just like I need a carrier with one ground troop on it. But a carrier right. costs three fuel, and I burn my fuel out really fast, and the carriers can only move one. And meanwhile, I scout it out at a distance of two hexes, so you know, it's like I, I know the next turn I'm going to be moving those carriers twice and then i look at how much fuel i've got and it's like yeah i don't have that much fuel income so then that becomes some hard decisions about which planets do i really want to take first and it's usually the ones that have fuel because it enables me to expand faster um right and um and kind of further on on those uh the decision making process so then you also have those strategic actions like i talked about and um i will go in a little bit more depth on that but for instance in the beginning of the game if you want to explore more uh, versus just maybe, you know, jetting over to the Terran on the live stream and just taking out the blue guys, um, you can move a carrier, for instance, twice in that single round if you use that strategic action. And then yeah, if but you that's use only that, if you're moving into an unexplored hex, though, right? Yeah, an unexplored one or a neutral one. So it can be, um, it can be under Fog of War or it can just not be uh, currently uh, taken over by another player. Um, oh, okay. All right. I didn't understand that. So I thought, hey, I scouted it. That means I don't get to use my explore bonus. Otherwise, yeah, you I, can use I it. just scouted with the carriers because, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, you found something? Great. Drop a troop there rather than, like, find it and then go back to, to hustle have, a carrier out there. I have to say I really like those strategic actions that you get to choose at every turn. It makes you like, this turn, I want to focus on war. And this train, I just want to explore, man. You know, well, I, I, thing re- is, I really like that. Well, the thing is, the more you use that action, the better it gets. Like, yeah. It levels up. Yeah, so, so that kind of like a, that kind of yeah, dictates like, what you do for a game for like at least a few turns if you want to stick with that particular like uh, way of being or that that what's the word um, dictate? I guess if you want to, yeah. if you want to focus on exploration for like four turns, you'll be awesome. In four turns. <laughs> Does it now? Do you message to the other players like, okay, this guy's going down the war path, or this guy's going the exploration path, or, or are they just kind of like in the dark about what I'm doing? No, they're in the dark. So, um, and that was kind of on purpose. Again, that could probably be a configuration as well. But I mean, I you don't want you don't want other players to know what your strategy is. It's your strategic action, something that you're going to try and take people by surprise with. Like, oh, you know, he might use Warfare this time, so I might be wary of actually moving within range of him. Or maybe he is going to just get a technology upgrade. Who knows? So 
Um, right now, that's actually hidden from the other players what your strategic action is. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that's actually maybe your spy system right there. Is is just like all you all you do is just reveal that. Like, or or if the uh, if fog of war, right? Like, I run into your worlds and I see them, but I don't see your whole empire when I run into you. Like a lot of RTS games, or not RTS, uh, a lot of 4X games are like, oh, you bumped into the Antarans. Here's everything the Antarans own. And, and it's like, no, I should only really see that border world where I met them. You know, and they're, they're not going to tell me about the rest of it. Like they might trade me their map or something, but it, but it would be an intel problem, right? Like if aliens showed up and I don't trust them, I'm not going to tell them where all my planets are on day one, right? Right. Yeah, I know. We kind of have a, di- a different approach to that, more just along the lines of like the board game approach where, yeah, you kind of want to see what everyone's stuff is. But since it's a video game, we also have the opportunity to do things like that, to actually hide things from all the other players. Um, it's something that we've talked about, but we just haven't really pulled the trigger on it just with, you know, other kind of uh, heavy, heavy hitting enhancements that we've been working on lately. But um, I mean, I- I've been yeah. working on this game now for like three and a half years, so mm-hmm. Well, that's that's what I'm, I'm saying is is like the fog. I can keep working thing. on it forever, you know. Like as long as it's as long as people are enjoying it, people are playing it. I'm always open to more ways that we can make it. Uh, you know, just give players different options like that, like different fog of war options. Yeah. Well, well it's it it would yeah because I'm I'm seeing like an option where it's like I don't see where your planets are, although yeah. I could send spies over there to find out. Right. And they might be that that's cheaper than bumping into your planets and having to fight with my ships all the time. Because right. maybe I don't want to antagonize like that, but I could get like a spy ship and send it over, and it might get yeah. caught, you know. But but um, that way, it's just like, hey, I found a spy ship like way in the back of my empire. Oh shit! Now he knows where all my stuff's at, um, and and where where your fleets are is a big thing. Like you know, if if you have a fight going on with another AI and you're not seeing the whole map. That could be pretty important, right? Yeah. So, but it, but it's just like I play it. Um, I tend to treat it like you know board game style. So I'm I'm just like fog of war off. Show me everything, and and it's just like I'm sitting around the pl- the table with everybody else, and and it's what would I be seeing? Well, everything they got. Um, right. You know. So and it also helps to learn the game because I want to see what the AI is doing and, and exactly bumble into them. Um, but yeah, I can I can kind of see it going both ways. You know. Right. So you say you've been working on this for four, four and a half years. What was the impetus to get you started working on this? Um, we kind of touched on it earlier, but I just, I love playing board games and I love playing board games with friends. Like I used to sit like every Saturday we'd get together and we'd play something. Um, and once, uh, once I, I, I used to live in Wisconsin. Once I moved from Wisconsin, I had another one of my gaming buddies moved to Denver, another one moved to uh I stayed in Wisconsin, I guess. You, it's, it's hard. It's a hard place to leave. <laughs> Too much alcohol. But, um, you know, I wanted to be able to play these games with people that, you know, that I knew. And I wanted to play these types of games. And there just weren't any games that were built for that specific purpose. Where things like Vassal, we can play online with people. But that takes forever. And it's kind of And you have to know the rules and this and that. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm a programmer. I, I've, ma- I've made some games. Uh, and I want to make a kind of digital board game. And that's really how all of this started. It started like true, true board game, and then it became this big 3D, you know, um, kind of 4X space game, but it's never really left that board game style 
uh, and also that multiplayer focus where you can play something pretty quickly with people. Because that was one yeah. thing I found pretty early on was I could sit for six hours and play a board game because everybody's in the room with me. But you can't do that with a multiplayer game because no one's just going to sit there, you know, in a room alone doing who knows in their underwear or whatever <laughs> for, for six hours and play that same game on a consistent basis. Obviously, people do sometimes, um, but that's just really not how multiplayer games work best. A lot of it's just these kind of quick sessions where you hop on with some people and maybe you can play four games instead of one. Or maybe you can set up a ten, you know, a huge galaxy, um, and and play for a couple hours if you want. But I wanted to give players the options to play something really quick. So, uh, really, it was that multiplayer board game feel. That's really what I wanted to produce here. Yeah. So you have um, everybody takes a turn in moving, right? Is that key to the mechanic, or could all the players plot their move at the same time? And then when everybody hits ready, then it happens. And if fleets run into each other, then they fight it out. Um, it is actually another strategy because the players who gain the most victory points that round, they're going to go last the next round. So, oh, okay. um, so it is it is an added strategy there. Um, mm. The, the reason that I was thinking that is because you know you're talking about the the problem of having people play a, a virtual board game and mm -hmm. the big problem i see is like the afk guy right and it's like hey it's bob's turn where's bob i don't know like, you know it's like his turn was like his last turn was like five minutes ago maybe he's wandered off or, or whatever and it's like yeah but if but if it was simultaneous turns then everybody wouldn't be constantly doing something so yeah i i see why you're doing it the way you're doing it too yeah that's a really tough system to get right and um yeah, it was one that I thought about. We actually have some more uh, plans in mind for asynchronous play. But um, obviously, you know, like I said, one thing at a time. We're just going to keep chugging along, making the core game as good as possible, and then we'll start you know, doing all those extra add-ons and stuff. I'm kind of surprised, actually, that you didn't develop this as, as like a, a web application, like HTML5 or something, for, uh, you know, first. Because just looking at the, the thing of uh, the multiplayer focus... And, and that is, is just like, I don't know, if I'd imagined somebody was going to solve that problem, I would have thought like, oh, they just grabbed Flash or something and like knocked it together on the web, like on Congregate. I just I'm hate web development didn't. and I hate Flash. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, I got to say, I'm glad you have a single player, uh, very strong, if I may also add single player element to your game, because I'm, I'm, I'm honestly tired of seeing games like this that are just online multiplayer only it just sends it just seems like to me like an excuse not to have to make an ai and it's like come on i mean multiplayer games don't last forever but single yeah. player games people play those 10 20 years down the line right oh, yeah, but, but like this you know you've got the you've got the map thing going on here. Like you could do almost like a, a Catan knockoff in space kind of thing. <laughs> you could do, there's so much stuff you could do with this engine the way you got it. Yeah. We have a really great engine and we're already kind of putting ideas together for after we feel like falling stars is in a good place. And you know, once we can kind of go into maintenance and support mode on it or whatever that ends up looking like, I mean, you know, maybe this game is going to explode and we're going to have to even get more people just working on this. If that's the case, great. You know, I'm going to work on a game that, that people like. But mm. uh, at the end of the day, yeah, we have this really awesome engine and you swap out graphics, you swap out mechanics. Like I said, we can switch out rule sets on the fly. Um, you can do that with any type of game. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that, no, as far as like the spaceship graphics and stuff, um, if I wanted to mod that, I mean, let's say, you know, I'm the community, right? And I decide like, okay, I want everybody's spaceships just to be like plastic spaceships that look their color. Can I just swap them out? Or is, is there some kind of headache to that in the engine? Um, it's not in the engine. It's more just in what we have currently supported for modding. Now, typically, um, in order in order to make it worth having all of those modding tools, you have to have a modding community who wants to do that. And since this is our very first game, we just didn't have a very big community to start. We've had some people ask the question, but um, in order for us to prioritize that over something like UI or making battles a little bit better, um, we were like, yeah, let's just save that until you know people really want it. Now, there are ways, but uh, there's nothing in the engine that's going to suppress that type of functionality. Because uh, well, I was thinking just like, you know, is there a directory and it's got ship models in it and I just write over those and then it uses mine? Because that way you're not really building tools for it or anything. I can just actually swap assets or something. Right. There. The, yeah, it's kind of like a, a zip directory. Um, oh, so okay. it's a little bit tricky. Yeah, it's a little bit tricky, but not that tricky. I mean, I'm sure I could do it pretty quickly. I'm just I'm thinking through it as we're talking about it because I hadn't necessarily considered just, you know, hopping in and opening up the... Um, the assets directory, but everything kind of gets compiled into one place, uh, and so you just have to open up that. Um, I could actually look into it and maybe open that up as a resource for people who are interested in at least doing that. Yeah, yeah. So people love that you know, sort of thing. You know, you've made it though. Whenever you like look at the Android store and you see some Chinese game that looks exactly like yours and it's using your assets, so, <laughs> it's like you're big time then because they stole yeah. your shit. Yeah. Oh, I feel so happy that China stole my stuff. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have a solid plan for not only the immediate future, but the far-off future should the game do well. And and we, of course, hope it does. Uh, what is the next big thing you plan to implement? Uh, so that's uh, that's twofold. The, the battle system that I talked about with, um, with the leaders and with the morale, I think that's going to add some nice flavor. Um, the political craft nice. crafting, where you can craft the political agendas and and uh, you know use those to kind of thwart other players' plans or your own. And then the big one, the UI overhaul. Um, we're gonna make we're gonna just start from the ground up kind of thing, not change it all fundamentally, but just say, hey, if we had to do this over again, how would we do it? What would we show? How would we show it? Uh, just give that a really hard look. Um, our, our UI platform has gotten a lot better. We have a lot more functionality for it now than when we started, which is kind of one of the reasons why we have this mismatch in, in um, you know, some UIs are good and some parts of it are really bad. But uh, we plan on, you know, homogenizing that more or less and just adding a lot more functionality. And obviously, you know, I've actually written down a lot of the ideas that you guys have talked about. Um, I'm going to visit those and, you know, see what we can do. But um yeah, the UI is probably the biggest one. I think people are going to um, enjoy the game a lot more once that's resolved. It's, it sounds like you have a lot of great plans. I'm, I'm kind of out of questions. What about you, Jim? No, I think I'm pretty good. Okay, yeah, I'm also... I don't know why I'm just losing my I, mind. I'm really tired. I do. Like, it, not necessarily tonight, but like sometime in the near future. Like I, I want to look over your secret documents about this new <laughs> should also try and get some multiplayer of this going. I'm sure it's probably yes. a good deal of fun. Yeah, actually, I'd already been uh, Phil about that 
and we were talking about it. That was part of the conversation that we had. Right. Oh, very nice. Very nice. We'll have to make that happen. Yeah, we'll make that happen. Yeah, because I think honestly, the the best thing, and I and I'm I'm trying to encourage this is like when we get a developer on and they've got a game that's multiplayerable, um, and and it's a thing that that's a game that could be demonstrated, right? Is is like let let us come in as the clueless and then kind of get the tutorial, like guide us through a couple turns of the game, and then that kind of creates a YouTube tutorial video, right? And uh, that sounds kinda, fun. Yeah, because yeah, if be I watch somebody explain how to play a game, but if they if they're just explaining it to you know to a, an empty room, uh, it's not the same. But if they're explaining it to a person, and then the person can kind of ask for clarification and stuff, I, I have a much easier time watching a video that's kind of interactive like that, um, and I retain that a little better because the screwy way my brain works. Um, <laughs> so, but I, you know, I just figure that might also boost sales as well because then people say oh yeah i get it right and if these idiots can understand it i'll i'll do fine <laughs> yeah i'm definitely i think that's a great idea so no we'll def- we'll have to try and arrange it at some point but uh yeah philip i want to thank you for taking the time to come on and talk about your game guys the game is falling stars war of empires and uh it had a kind of a rough start like we talked about but if if Jim and I, if Jim and my um, interest in how the game works is any indication, this is good stuff. Like very good stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it. Oh yeah, I mean, there's to me, there's never a shortage of space games, and you have made a good, I'd say, a good like mix between a four X, but something more streamlined. You know, which mm. people can play in a short mm. amount of time if they want to. Or they can, like you said, expand to a larger game if they want to. Mm-hmm. You know, you know something nobody has done yet, right? Is you, there there will be games that, um, like Battlefleet Gothic, right? I I go in and it's like, hey, I want to play Battlefleet Gothic, and I hit play, and then it randomly matches me with somebody, right? And we're in a game, and I didn't have any say about it or or whatever. But I also can't see like how many people are in here waiting on a game. Or whatever. So it's kind of like if that game had a lobby, like the the old 40k games did, right? So you go in and it's like, hey, there's 200 people in the lobby, and and it's like, all right, I'm gonna set up a game, you know, and whoever randomly comes in here, right? Um, but at least you can kind of interact with the rest of the community or whatever. Um, yeah. But but then again, like if you go to a thing and then the community hasn't developed yet, then you don't want the impression like, oh, a user ends up in an empty lobby and it's like. Hello, yeah, you know it's like there's an echo mm-hmm. in here. Um, so you don't want to do that either because that doesn't feel good. So what I'm thinking nobody has done is what about actually putting a thing like I want to play this game, right? Like I'm looking for a player, it almost almost like an in-game uh, forum post. Like hey, if you wanna if you wanna play this sometime, you know I'm in this time zone. Message me, whatever. And it, and it, because it's like how how many players can you do total? It's like I see four here, right? That's the limit. That's the limit currently. Okay. Right. So so it's just like hey, I'm looking for three other people, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm available in in these time zone whatever. I mean, this is way down the road. Like once you address everything else, but it but it's kind of like I th- I think that might help the game's longevity. Would be like hey man, every every second Thursday we're playing here. So if you wanna 
didn't show up for that. Does, didn't Frozen Synapse do something like that? It was a little simpler. They may but have, like, yeah. Like they did a thing where you could log in and set yourself to open and looking for a game. I yeah, think. but, they, and then but you have someone, to sit there. That's the problem. No, I don't think you have to sit there, don't you? Can't you just leave for a game and then go off and then a game will eventually start? I think that's how that works on Frozen yeah, Synapse, I, I, I mean more like meeting people, right? Like I want to find somebody to play this oh. game with. Yeah, like join now, like a group, and you can have like a description for the group where you say, "Hey, we play every you know Friday at you know whatever, and we're looking for more people. We have uh, we have two out of the four slots, and we're just going to keep playing until we have four people or whatever." Because obviously, you can play with AI players online too. But yeah, that's actually a pretty cool idea. Well, I mean, the 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 analog solution is create a Steam group for the game, and then you just join the Steam group, and then you see everybody else that owns the game, right? But it, it's kind of like then you want to flag yourself like I'm looking to play this. But right. the other way would just be like, hey, sometime in the future, right? Like if anybody's interested, uh, you know, tick this box and then we'll get together. Uh, you know, we'll figure out when or whatever. So it's it's almost like a looking for group in the future kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Anyway, okay. it was just it was just like a weird idea that came to me. because <laughs> it's you know, it, it's like, well, yeah, it's like yeah, I it's got not. that Witcher board game. And and I wow I I like that thing. That's like board game done right on a computer, right? And, and it's light enough, and it kind of explains itself. Like the game itself is its own tutorial. Um, so it's kind of like I could just grab anybody and play that. And it's it, it's almost like playing um, like Talisman, right? You know, it's just like draw a card, do this thing, and uh, and it's lightweight enough like that. But finding people to play the damn thing is a pain in the ass because, because I got to go down like the list of steam and it's like, would all of my friends own this thing? And then I pester them like, Hey, you want to play this? You want to play this? You know, <laughs> and I'm going down the list. So it, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, I, I wish that I could just hang a flag out like, Hey, here's five things I'm looking to play right now. You know, and maybe, maybe that's just a steam feature that they need to put in the friend thing. But it, you know, it's just like, what am I playing this week? If you want to play any of these, you know, let's go. This kind of game would work well with that kind of system too. It would work well with like that kind of asynchronous, you yeah. know, play. Well, and, the, yeah, and, it, and it's a thing of like play with your friends, or there should be a way to find a pickup group and and get it done. Because I think this thing is going to be at its best with four people. Well, I and, wouldn't be surprised because Steam is gearing itself more and more to be a social network. I would not be surprised if they eventually implemented something like that. I mean, it would just make sense for them. They would get more people on Steam. They would get more people on their platform. So why not implement yeah. some kind of social matchmaking lobby system like that? Oh, I mean, they, oh they already God, have no, they already because... have Steam work. They already have Steamworks. Just build on top of that. Yeah, but see, that's one step away from dating. And then, <laughs> and then you have the no, Steam dating platform. No. Well, you know what? They might do that. Like, say you're single. I like, I mean, I like long walks on the beach and Doom. <laughs> Well, I need to wrap this up because okay. I'm losing my mind. But, um, Philip, again, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to us for over an hour and a half <laughs> about your game. Guys, yeah, it was the, a lot of fun. Oh, it was. The game is uh, – oh, my God, I'm losing my mind. Falling Stars, War of Empires. It's on Steam. It's $20. It's a really great board game that you could – play in a lot of different ways without victory conditions you can watch the ai do its thing and the ai is pretty good and there are lots of updates coming so this is definitely one to keep an eye out for uh next week on the show uh, as i was saying earlier we're gonna have the folks behind 3030 death war redo on to talk about their uh adventure game slash escape velocity clone 
uh, thing of awesomeness. So we're very excited about that. And this Thursday, so far, it's a very close race in the polls. Star Trek Online is ahead by one vote, you guys. So if you want me to either play Star Trek Online or 1990s Hard Nova by Electronic Arts, head over to SpaceGameJunkie.com and vote in the poll. Philip, where can people find you online? Uh, we have a Facebook page, uh, Falling Star War of Empires. Uh, you can also find us at uh, lnlpublishing.com. That's our publisher's website. And then uh, you can find more information on the game also at uh, our website, arkisphere.com, A-R-K-I-S-V-I-R.com. All right. Thank you so much. And, folks, we will see you next week. Have a great night, everyone. Bye-bye. Let's have some music in here, Boiler. Sure thing. Yeah.